This season, I have teamed up with Blue Microphones. I have been a huge fan of their products for years now. My partner actually gave me a Blue Yeti microphone for my birthday a couple of years ago, and that's what I used to record season one. So to now be working together on season two is just so great. Blue's award-winning products have helped countless podcasters, musicians, YouTube creators, and Twitch streamers find and amplify their voices. So, if you're looking to share your passion with the internet, definitely check out Blue Mics. Hello, I'm Antonia Preble, and you are listening to episode one of season two of my podcast, The Most of It, where I go on the hunt to find the answer to one big question. How do we make the most of our lives? This season, I have a wonderful lineup of guests who will contribute so much to that conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's show, I'm talking with my pal, Zoe Bell. Zoe is an acclaimed stuntwoman and actress turned producer and director. Her career kicked off as a stunt double for Lucy Lawless in Xena Warrior Princess, and then her subsequent work in Quentin Tarantino's two-part feature, Kill Bill, launched a long-standing relationship with the world-renowned director, and she has since collaborated on and featured in every one of his films. Zoe has such an impressive resume that really showcases her talent across film and TV, and she is the first to admit that she's both enthusiastic and a bit terrified to have found that she really does rather like sitting in the director's chair now. In the last few years, Zoe has gone on a huge journey of grief and vulnerability and learning, and she has no shortage of themes that she wants to incorporate into her work. Zoe really hopes to engage the audience on a personal level to encourage a conscious shift in perspective and ultimately respite from suffering, which is such a worthy goal. Zoe is so open and honest. Her insights are profound and her strength is remarkable. I got so much out of our chat. I'm so thrilled that she is part of this season and I really hope you enjoy it too. Hello, Zoe. Hello, Tona. How are you? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you because not only am I really pleased that you are a guest on my podcast, so thank you for that. It's also just so bloody lovely to see you and be able to catch up because it's been such a long time. I know. You know what I've noticed is in these times of like, you know, house arrest is <laughs> like so many of my job interviews are done through Zoom and you make an effort and you book it all in. And then I'm like, how, why don't I just book? I should be slotting in friend times. Like I need to slot some love in. Yeah. Why do we just slot work? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I know. It's always, it's the great question, isn't it? What we're prioritizing and if it's, and thinking that work is more important than friendships, oh. which sometimes it is, but not all the time, right? What well, depends on your friendships, I guess. <laughs> depends on your friendships and your work. <laughs> and your, yeah. if you've got great friends and shit work, okay, or shit friends and great work, you know. <laughs> Work-life balance, right? Finding a balance. Speaking of house arrest, how have you found these bizarre 12 or so months? 
Oh, fuck. That's going to be hard to do in a short period of time because my last three years has been personally very strange. So the lockdown for me has actually been, I'm kind of hesitant or cognizant of being cautious or considerate when I talk about it because I know lockdown has been literally devastating for a lot of people and COVID has been devastating. There's been death and loss of houses and, you know, like proper stuff. For me, it kind of was an enforced rest that usually I only take if I'm sick and I had a really tricky 18, 19 and I think I really needed the time. So for me, it kind of worked out that I ended up, I'm in this small town in Colorado, which is random and we'll have to do a whole other podcast about how that came about. But I've got a small handful of friends. My life just got really small and really quiet at a time when I really needed that. I have always found it really hard to make that kind of time for myself. So I've actually just been really leaning into it. I mean, at first I wasn't consciously leaning into it. I was just sort of blindly falling into it. And then I was like, actually, I think this has been really good for me or necessary, you know. Wow, that's so interesting and such a great perspective for you to take on it as well. Mm. Like there's a silver lining and the the challenges. So do you live in Colorado now? Apparently, yeah. <laughs> wow. I kind of, well, it was like, So I had got a job in Vancouver that was meant to be for like six or seven months. And you go on one of these jobs and all expenses are paid and they're putting you up and all of that kind of stuff. And my, I had been in the same house for 10 years. I was renting. It was sort of where a lot of the painful stuff happened. I was kind of feeling like it was about time to move on anyway. And I was like, I couldn't sublet because my landlord lived directly above me is also a prickly personality and a lawyer. So that was never going to happen. So I was just going to be funneling that rent. And so the thought was, well, I'll just hand in the lease, fresh start, go to Vancouver, save the money, whatever. Came to this house that I had bought last year. So in the middle of my, I refer to it as my grieving and day drinking period. And I bought this place like a year and a half ago, came here six months ago for two week holiday before going to Vancouver. And in that two weeks, the world shut down So I didn't live in LA anymore. I wasn't going to Vancouver anymore. And I own this place. And I don't know, this might sound terrible when I start moving things around. But right now, that's (gasps) my current reality. Oh, wow. I'm just looking out Zoe's window at this beautiful snow-capped little town. I know. gorgeous. I feel like Santa probably actually lives here. Wow. Which is so different to my reality in Auckland at the moment, in the, the height of summer. You, of course are a Waiheke gal. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about your start in New Zealand and how on earth you became to be Zoe Bell, Quentin Tarantino's right-hand gal. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up in New Zealand, were you a sporty kid? Were you a daredevil kid? Did you always know you wanted to have some sort of physical job? How did it all happen? Yes, I've always been, I always liked being up high. I always liked the sensation of, <laughs> I always liked the sensation of falling or dropping. I like going fast. I used to love watching gymnastics and ice skating and you know, high diving. And so I kind of was thinking about it a while ago and I kind of simmered it down to the sensation of flying. Anything that kind of represented that freedom of what flying must feel like kind of always just innately appealed to me. You know, and I was an adventurous kid. I was never... It never occurs to me that I'm a risk taker because, and even in the work that I do, I'm, if I feel like I'm taking a risk, it better be a calculated one because I, you know, I like being alive and I really don't like being injured. I'm certainly not a reckless abandon, like the more dangerous it is, the more appealing it is. It's just the, 
the feelings I get of being up high and of moving at certain speeds and like there's a physical sensation that I that I really enjoy. And then the other part of it has once mum put me into gymnastics, I think it went from being not just sensational, but also sort of like the joy of execution, like the satisfaction of figuring it out. That combination of the sensation and the science, I think, just ignited something in me that, that I discovered through gymnastics and then sort of explored through martial arts. And then when I found out that you could get paid to do it, I was a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, med school's not what I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> Turns, out, Turns no. out I'm meant to be keeping the doctors busy, not being the doctor. <laughs> so did you really get a sense then that it was a calling or is that too strong a word for it? Not too strong a word. It was the first and only time. I mean, I think the calling to that sort of experience had been in me since I was a kid. But, you know, as a kid, you don't really even, you don't care if there are words for the concepts, for the feelings that you're having. But when I first found out that there were humans out there getting paid to effectively fight and flip, to this day is one of the few times I've had that sensation where I've just been like, oh, I was designed for this. Like, I don't believe in God, but if I did, I'd be like, oh, that was her intention <laughs> for me yeah. was to do this, you know. I've had it again recently, just in a much more sort of adult way. You know, that was a, a very young, like, boom. The first time I saw something, I was just like, oh, that exists for me. Most recently, I've had it again with this. I'm kind of staring down the barrel of becoming a director right now, which was is sort of more terrifying than jumping off a moving train at this point for me, but, but it has a similar sensation. But it's a much more kind of adult, mature, like, you know, like I went from being a stunt woman to being an actor to producing indie movies to then, so I've just kind of gone down all these different avenues and for a long time I never quite put it, I couldn't quite figure out how it added up. And then I sat in the director's seat in the form of a commercial for the first time and it was about day three and I went, oh shit, now I can weave something out of all of these things. Like I can lean into all of these things and I feel, I just got goosebumps, I feel useful, 100% useful in this role. And that is my favorite way to feel on a set. Like if I don't have a purpose on a set, I don't want to be there. I feel like tits on a ball. I feel uncomfortable. It's like it's someone else's space. When I have a purpose on a set, it's like it's almost more comfortable than being at home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And yeah, I'm so you glad would. you brought that up because we we talk a lot on this podcast about having a purpose and also being useful, you know, being in service to something that is not yourself, that is greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like in retrospect, your life is stitched together to get you to this point of being a director? I don't know what I believe. Like part of the 18, 19 tricky times was I lost my mum and it was grieving, losing a best friend, losing your mother, losing someone who's been part of your every single day since you were having days you know, it brings up a lot of questions. <laughs> I went through sure a period. Does. Yeah. And the biggest question for me, I don't even know if it's the biggest one, but the most prevalent one and the one that just won't go away is the, what's the point? And for a period of time there in the darkest times, what's the point was a really scary bottomless pit with no answer, depressing, give me an excuse to intake many substances that I shouldn't have and not get out of bed and watch endless amounts of terrible TV. Sure. Yeah. And I still don't have an answer. But the beauty, I guess, is that the lack of answer was a black hole before. The lack of answer now is just like an open space. It's like, well, if there is no point or if I don't know the point, then what are the limitations? What's the point in not as opposed to what's the point in? I had started directing right before the wheels fell off everything. 
I directed a couple of commercials and then I signed on to coordinate Quentin's last movie. And in the middle of that, a whole bunch of other things outside of my control kind of spiraled. I walked into the lockdown like, I have no idea how to do Tuesday. And actually don't even care about today if all that comes next is Wednesday. Like why, you know, I am not claiming to know what it is to deal with real chemical imbalance, depression or suicidal tendencies. Although I do feel like I have a, an openness and an, an empathy towards that stuff in a way that I couldn't possibly have before. I've been taking a lot of general meetings with, you know, pretty big, important producers and studios and and the type of meeting that I might have I know I would have walked into two years ago like kind of apologetic and like not grateful in a powerful way grateful in a you know there's a difference between humble and lack of confidence (laughs) absolutely I know exactly what you mean yeah yeah and so now I'm walking into well walking into these walking into the room slash walking into the zoom like the story comes out a lot and there's a lot more to it than just my mum passing away that And I'm not speaking it for any purpose other than this is exactly who I am now because of these things on top of my professional experience. And the thing that I've recognized is this is what we're doing. Like we are in the business of telling human stories. So if I walk into this meeting and I tell you that my boyfriend nearly died and I had to wipe his ass for three months and then at the end of and my mom came to help me and then she died and then we tried to have babies and then it died and now I can't. Like if that makes you disregard me as a professional in this line of work, then I don't want to make stories with you. And the irony is it's been really profound how many people have just gone holy shit and not from a place of pity from a place of like because if I'm not the only one who's been through these things and I'm certainly not what I've been through is not the nearly the worst of what a lot of people have been through and a lot of people have gone through worse for their entire life so if there's some way that I can access that if there's anything that I can pull from that that's going to add depth or quality or reach someone who feels unreachable or I mean, that's our business. And I think for so long I was, especially when you live in LA and you are from New Zealand, so you by nature have this kind of like, hey, guys, what's going on? You have this open heart and you want to, and then, you know, you live there a long time and it took, it's only in hindsight that I'm like, oh, wow, I really lost track of what was important to me and what made me meet. Like I used to come home to New Zealand to remember who I was. Really? That's interesting you say that, Zoe, because one of my questions was, has LA changed you? How has it changed you? And how have you been navigating that relationship with yourself in a culture that is very different from the Kiwi culture? And how long have you been living there now? I've been here like 20 years. And so I was 22. I'm 42 now, 20 years. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So half your life, right? You've been away from home half your life. And so did you notice that your sense of self was sort of getting eroded over time or was it only something that you noticed when you suddenly looked back and went, oh God, who am I? I think for me there was moments, you know, it's like, and it's tricky, this whole human sense of identity, right? Like it's so important that we feel like we identify within ourselves and that we identify within a group. And when those things get challenged, we feel discombobulated and unmoored and and that's a really scary place to be. But what I recognized is what I have in the past, and probably if I'm honest, quite recently, that a huge amount of my identity was that I was really down to earth and I was super grounded and I would never change. And people would say these things to me. Oh, I love to see that you haven't changed. And I love to see that you're still the same. And, I, and then I had a point where I was like, I totally understand what they mean. 
what they mean is they're glad that I haven't turned into a self-centered dick mm-hmm. and become super LA-ized. But who wants to live 20 years and not change? Like what? Mm-hmm. You know, and I got really stuck in that. And I felt quite, I was about to say captivated, and I meant it like held captive. It's yeah. so funny how the English language, the yes. difference between being captivated and held captive is like yes. polar opposites. <laughs> like <laughs> I started captivated. And then became captured. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Quite bound to LA. And like I felt like I owed it something. It just ended up feeling sort of like a toxic relationship. Like I felt like I had to work really hard and give everything for just like this odd morsel and this odd moment of, oh, you're validated. And I'd be like, yeah. And then it just kind of got pulled away again. And, you know, there was one moment when I had transitioned into acting and I had done everything in my power to, because I knew it sounds ironic, but I knew that stunts was my safety zone. And I know that sounds weird, but that was my comfort place. No, that makes sense. You got this. You, you're a professional. You're at the top of your game. You know you can do what is asked of you all the time. It's in my blood. And mm-hmm. even when there's something that I've never done before, I have a process that I know I can lean on. And I know if I can't do it, I know that I can say that's beyond me. Or I go, I can't do it yet, but I know that I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Acting was a, like acting like, how about you just crack your heart open and bleed in front of a whole bunch of strangers? I was like, what? No, I've spent my whole life doing the opposite of that, you know. Also, I was getting into acting as a 30-year-old woman, which back, especially before the Me Too, you may as well have been 60. I mean, I was literally turning up to auditions for, for like, you know, 34-year-old women and I was too old at 27. You know, like there were 23-year-olds in there. I'm like, what happened? I don't. And even as strong and as independent and wholesome and grounded and down to earth as I was, a hundred million different cuts means you end up with a huge wound. It's just the law of increments means it's almost harder to recognize it. Like if someone cuts you open with a butcher knife, you're aware of it. If someone just like, yep, you wake up one day and you're like, oh, there's my spleen. I'm not going to be able to see that. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm completely broken. <laughs> what? I bled all over out. the floor. I needed that blood and it's all gone. Yeah. So there was a moment where I suddenly hit a wall and I was like, what am I doing? I had talked to mum and dad and I had talked to a friend of mine who was living in Muraway. It's one of my favorites. And it was summer there, winter here. And she was like, oh, we're going to go play, you know, volleyball and blah, blah's coming and blah, blah. And the kids and mum and dad are coming to me. And I just had this moment where I was like, what am I doing? Like in terms of the quality of life, I know I'm living a life that many people could perceive as envious and they can read into my experience, whatever the fuck they want. What if I just sell everything and I move to the beach and I become a librarian or get a plumbing license or whatever the fuck. And I find some hot Kiwi boy and we live by the beach and mum and dad are accessible and my brother can be there and our kids can all hang out. And we just like spend life living instead of spend life trying to be validated enough to get the work that makes us feel like we're living. Uh And then I had this moment where I was like, I literally could do that. Like, actually, that's actually an option. I could be on a plane in a couple of weeks. I could have sold everything. The kind of interesting thing about that was not that I decided to do it, but that I realized in that moment, I realized that my being in LA was my choice. Yeah. And that in itself was the liberation. It was like, oh, okay, so I'm not really loving it, but I'm not beholden to it. I don't owe it to anyone to be here. In fact, my friends have often said, like, I don't care what you do. We just want you closer. <laughs> like, just come home, you know. That was a liberating thing because then I was like, okay, if I'm choosing it, 
then now I'm choosing to stay a little bit longer and, and see what happens. And if it gets to the point where I don't want to be here anymore, then I cannot be here again. And it was just sort of a quite pivotal. Actually, that was when I started taking, I didn't start taking jobs. That seems such a girl thing to say. I started creating opportunities for myself when I would get these roles. Cause I used to, when I was acting, I would get sort of big roles in indie movies and small roles in big movies, you know? Mm-hmm. So when I was in the indie movie market, I started negotiating a creative producer credit with it. So then awesome. I, because then I had some fucking say, then I had some input because I just felt so puppeted trying to be an actor. I just felt like I was just waiting for the next douchebag who I probably didn't even like to validate whether I was likable or valuable. And I was like, I don't, once I realized it was my choice to be there, then I started, I don't know, it empowered me to make more choices as opposed to just kind of be pushed around and swept with the current that just wasn't serving me very well, you know? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I I really relate to that, actually, that moment of realisation that you are in charge, that you're not, you don't have to do anything because you're a grown ass woman. And by opening up the possibility of taking something off the table out of your life, you actually kind of have this open vista again, where you can decide, well, what do I want to put there? If this doesn't automatically have to be here, but I can choose for it to be here, would I still do that? And then do I have to do it in the same way as I was doing before? Because clearly that wasn't going the way it could. Wasn't serving, yeah. And you've done that. That's so great. And it's all good and well saying that as if it was so obvious, but it's really like it kind of came from a place of necessity for me too where I was like not just this place. It's not fair to put it on Hollywood or on Los Angeles or on the industry, but the combination of all of that stuff was like it was like being in a bad relationship where you suddenly look around and you're like, wait, where did my sparkle go? Like, why do I feel so little? And like, if I'm perpetuating this thing that's just making me smaller and smaller, why am I fighting for it? And like what you were saying then when you recognize that there's choice in front of you, you know, I started negotiating creative producer credits and that didn't mean that I always got what I wanted. It didn't mean that suddenly I was like, everything was working and happening for the Zoe Bell styles, but it was like, even just feeling like I was the one putting my left foot in front of my right foot, that gave me a sense of this is the life I want to be living. I want to be living a life where I'm making these choices for myself. Mm. I don't know why I feel the need to say that, but I feel like it's so easy to romanticize. You just have to learn this lesson and then everything opens up and you become, you know, whatever. And that's just not the case. But the joy isn't in I started making decisions for myself and then I became super famous and super successful. The joy is in I started making decisions for myself, period. That's the beauty, you know. Like I took the reins. Then when I fucked it up, I was like, oh, wow, that was a terrible decision. (laughs) I could probably make a better one next time. And then when it went well, I got to feel really proud rather than lucky. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's the power. This episode of The Most of It is powered by Blue, the mic of the internet. If you're thinking about creating a podcast, starting a YouTube or Twitch channel, or even if you just make a lot of Zoom calls, take a minute to think about your audio quality. The Blue Yeti USB mic is the internet's most popular mic, and it's easy to see why. It's really simple to use, it delivers premium sound quality, and it even looks great too. I have been a huge fan of Blue for a long time, 
Not only do they make fantastic microphones that I know I can always rely on, but I also really love their values, which are all about helping people find and amplify their voices. So it's a great match for this podcast. I love how my blue mic enables me to share my passion project with you and so do countless other creators all over the world. So if you're looking to bring pro quality sound to whatever you do, check out Blue, the mic of the internet. I love that distinction you make that it's not like once you have this realization that you're a grown up and you can make your own decisions, then suddenly everything gets better and the challenges disappear. They're still there, right? It's just the perspective that we have about them. I mean, sometimes the challenges get worse and more intense and your last few years probably attest to that, right? Absolutely. And I, and I will say, I kind of have some kind of like resistance around the concept of being motivational in the sense that I still haven't quite figured out the words to explain it, but like where I'm standing now at the end of 2018, 19, I need to come up with a good term for it because it's got to be cool and catchy because when I say 18, 19, people are like, yeah, which war was that? I'm like, no, no, not 18, 19. Like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. Yeah. we'll work. Let me know if you come up with something good, like the dark years or something. (laughs) But like coming out the flip side of that, I'm emotionally standing in a place that I wasn't before. And I, my perspective is forever shifted. I hope it's forever because it's the only good that comes out of that kind of trauma for me is the change in how I'm seeing things. And it's all stuff that I had intellectually been able to speak to prior. You know, I'm an emotionally intelligent person. I was raised by sort of alternative thinkers. But the way I'm seeing it now isn't, I couldn't think my way into it. I've just seen it from a different perspective and now I can't unsee it. And the stuff that I can't unsee is all the cliches. Life is short. It's not worth fighting for something that's making you miserable. There's no point in not speaking up. There's no point in not taking the risks. There's no point in not putting yourself forward for something because you don't have a penis. <laughs> like, there's no point. Like, the whole what is the point question is like, if I could in any way say stuff that shifted someone's perspective rather than gave something to think about, because I've had shit to think about my whole fucking life and it didn't make these changes. You know, it's that kind of. There's something to be said for embracing, not wallowing in, (laughs) it's different, embracing the hard times and whatever that means to you. Another thing that's happened for me a lot is when people hear my story, they're like, oh my God, well, that's really terrible. Mine doesn't compare to that. Well, bullshit. That's not, you're just like minimizing your personal life experience right now. Like for me, prior to this, some significantly smaller things threw me off the rails you know now I've got a different perspective now it's kind of like well that I can handle that you know like I recently went through a breakup fortunately we I mean because of what we went through I guess you either come out of that enemies or family for life and fortunately we came out family for life but it was also you know we went through the breakup and I had a moment where I was like I know exactly what this feeling is. This is grief. I'm grieving the possibility of what we could have been. I'm grieving the potential that I read into it. I'm grieving what I couldn't bring to him. I'm grieving what we couldn't make together. I'm grieving. And I was like, oh, grief. I can do that. Mm. That didn't mean I stopped feeling it or I tried to not have it affect me. I just kind of actually went into it for a minute and went, I know I can come out the other end. 
that's way more of a superhero superpower, sorry, than being able to kick someone in the head, which was always sort of my, you know, my superpower was that I was tough for a long time. And it turns out my superpower is that I'm really vulnerable and actually kind of now pretty relaxed about it. If there's some way someone can take some of that, that would mean a lot. And I feel like if there's some way I can put that in my art, even if it's just for me, even if it's just for my brother and my dad, if there's anyone out there that can glean a little bit of that, it would be nice if we can share stuff so that we don't all have to go through the shitty stuff to get there, you know? Yeah, I do. Wow, Zoe, that's it's a huge kind of personal reckoning, it sounds like, you've gone through. Yeah, it's been pretty, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a lot sitting up here on the little mountain in Colorado by myself. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And I hope this question doesn't sound too trite, but do you <clears> feel like where you've come to is who you always have been, but that essence of little Zoe was covered up by stuff that you've just uncovered? Yeah, and I'm still going through all of that. I've been very selective about, you know, you end up when you go through stuff like this, people send you books, all kinds of, like, that all kind of come under the umbrella of sort of self-discovery and self-help. And I've realized that, because one of my traits that I'm working on currently is if my actions feel like they're going to hurt or upset or disable someone else, then I shift so that that doesn't have to happen to them because Uh somehow I think I can handle it better than they can, which is kind of arrogant and sad all at the same time. But what I've recognized is that doesn't serve any purpose. Like, for example, you know, I've got seven or eight of these books and I tend to read a chapter and if it speaks to me, then I'll keep reading it. If it doesn't speak to me, I put it away and I feel no shame about it. But a lot of what it is is this sort of coming to terms with, yeah, looking at the places that I have put limitations on myself and the way that I live my life or the way that I share myself with people or share myself with myself. And, you know, what's the point in feeling guilt? What's Mm. the point in feeling bad about things? What's the point? Like if who I am as a person, who I am as a friend, who I am as a lover, who I am as a colleague doesn't work for you at my most truthful and beautiful as much as I can in that moment, then we shouldn't be friends or we shouldn't be working together. And there need not be hard feelings about that. And that's been both liberating and painful, very confronting. (laughs) And, you know, it's like any lesson. One of the things that I feel like I recognize is these moments of really powerful lessons where you just, it stops you in your tracks and they're the ones you remember for years. And I often then look and recognize that I'm having to relearn them again and again. And it's not like I learn at one time and then I'm forever changed. It's sort of, you know, with maybe the exception of this perspective shift that isn't a lesson learned. It's just someone just turned me around and I'm just looking at it from the other side like, oh, shit, that's what it looks like from the north, you know, Mm. like when you've lived in the south, you know. Yeah, I I also totally relate to what you're saying. And actually one of the reasons for me wanting to do this podcast is because I've been, you know, searching and wanting for personal development and figuring out myself in the world for as long as I've been around really. But I was Mm. always looking for this one answer, you know, like what's this one key that will unlock everything and then I'll get life and then everything will be fine from there on in. But of course. (laughs) The credits will roll and it'll be the best life ever. And I'll be just delighted by everything from the Mm. the rest of time. It's like, of course it's Mm. not that. It's so many different things that weave together. But even when we've got that, it still doesn't mean there won't be hard times. But as you say, there's a perspective shift and perhaps we're able to 
better cope with those hard times, but that even that doesn't mean that you won't feel that they're hard. You just have a different perspective. And you won't necessarily feel like you're ever going to come out of it either. Mm-hmm. You are still going to feel like it's never going to be good again. You're definitely going to have those moments. Like I remember saying someone as a joke ages ago, like, the credits don't roll in life. Like I used to get so pissed off at romantic comedies. <laughs> they used to really anger me. I think I was also in a pretty shitty relationship at the time. <laughs> I may have had something to do. With My life is not a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it is in real life. In real life, you know, anyway. But the, the reality with all movies is like credits roll. And so you're left with the sense of like someone had this profound breakthrough or they found love or they overcame some obstacle, or you know. And yes, that's life. And then because the credits don't roll in real life, you realize that you're in love with someone and you still have to figure out how to live with them. And then you realize maybe you can't. And what does that look like? And you have to tell your parents you're gay or you have to tell your parents you're breaking up or you, they die or, you know, like credits don't roll in life. And there's this really unfair, not even a standard. We kind of, it's all good and well romanticizing things and it's a fun escape, but we have it as such that that's kind of what we're searching for is, and honestly, cool, if that's what you want, fall in love and then kill yourself because that is the only way that's going to happen. That's the only way you're going to fall in love and then have the credits roll. Credits mm-hmm. roll when you die. That's the end of the, your movie. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Yeah. So there's something to be said for going through shit. Like my credits didn't roll yet. There were times I was like, all right, I'm about ready for that. You know, come on, bring it in with that crescendo music and let's get those credits rolling. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And that's... That's the nature of life. I didn't have a lot of choice over the things that happened. The only thing I have a choice over is what I choose to do with it now. And even that's partly not my choice. What you do with what you're given is all you have control over. And that's not, you know, you hear Justin Bieber. I was listening to a Justin Bieber song the other day and he was talking, it's the lonely song. And I'm paraphrasing because I literally listened to it one time you know, that everyone thinks they know me. No one really actually even cares how I'm doing and I'm really fucking lonely and everyone thinks I've got this amazing life, but no one actually asks me how I am. And it's so easy to sit there and be like, who cares how you are, bitch? You've got like loads of money and you can, you've got all the pussy in the world and you've got this and you've got, Mm. that is his personal experience. And he's the only one feeling that. And that's everybody. Everybody. Every single one of us. So you you do have choice in how you deal. Like I woke up the other morning and I just woke up feeling really sort of low-grade panicky and mm. bummed and, and, and I couldn't locate it and I couldn't attach it to anything. And I had this moment where I was like, I should, I need to talk to someone. Like I really just need to talk it out because I know what I'm going to say to myself and it's not anything I would say to anyone I care about. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Preach, yeah. <laughs> and I had that moment where I was like, but I can't think of anyone that, that's the right person to talk to because, you know, when you're really hungry but you can't think of anything you really feel like. Totally. I've got heaps of amazing food friends in my life, but I just wasn't in the mood for any of those flavors. And what I realized is I just needed someone who didn't know me. And I rang, one, my one friend rang and I saw her name and I was like, fuck, I can't answer that because I'm def- I'm just going to start crying and I'm going to have no reason for it and I'm not going to be able to explain it. And she's calling me, with- I know she's calling me with good news on her end. <laughs> and and so I was like, she's going to be like, guess what's happening with my book? And I'm going to be like, you know. Sorry to hijack this, but. Um- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that, that goes against everything that I've always, you know, the rules I've placed myself under. But I also looked at her name and I was like, the fact that I want to cry when I see her name means I need to answer this. And I answered it. 
and we did all of her good news. And I was like, also, I'm feeling really sad. And she was like, yeah, you sound weird. What's going on? And I was like, Bleh. and she gave me the name of a therapist. And I was like, that's what I need. And so there's just, I don't know, the freedom to not do shit the way you've always done shit if it's not working. Like just try something different. It might not work, but you're not going to be stuck in the same loop. You just Because we get stuck in loops and ruts and cycles and life's too short. And theoretically, as far as I know, and who knows because I don't know anything, we only get one. Mm-hmm. As far as we know. As far as we know. And as far as our experience tells us, so even if we've had multiple ones, I currently don't know about my last 20 or my next 50. So this is kind of it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that happens is you die and you don't know. So, like, you know, yeah. or you feel something you don't want to and you learn something from that. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Absolutely. So how are you, how are you feeling about where you're at at the moment? I'm feeling really excited, liberated, but kind of calm and completely open to feeling shitty as well. Like I think that's the important part is it's not like I've come out the other end and now it's all rainbows and unicorns and I'm going to become this famous, you know, I might direct the movie and either fuck it up or maybe I get it really right and I hate it. And then I'm like, cool, I'm going to move to Mirawai and I'm going to become a plumber and you know, I got my backup plan. But there's, I'm feeling kind of expansive. Like I'm not feeling as stuck and kind of, limited as I was, which doesn't mean I feel good all the time. And it certainly doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. And it does mean, you know, I look at a photo of my mom and I ball or I look at, I hang out with a friend's kids and I come home and I cry, like all of those things. And I'm crying about stuff that I was never crying about two years ago. And yet I still feel more open for it. Mm. You're letting yourself feel everything because you've given yourself permission for that. Yes, totally. Give myself permission. And I think once you've given yourself permission to feel those things, then they get to kind of pass through. They get to be an experience rather than an identification. Like I don't, I don't identify. There was a couple of months there where I definitely identified with being a traumatized person. Now, now I just experience the trauma when it comes up and it passes through. And then I come out the other end like, right. So how do I put that in the next movie? (laughs) That's pretty amazing, Zoe, that you've been able to do that because I think it is quite a struggle to not identify with the thoughts and the feelings that we have about ourselves or the world at any given time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ad- advice for people who might be struggling with that issue? Like what work did you do to help that transition for yourself? I feel slightly reckless giving advice because I'm no expert, but the most important part for me was the resting was that taking the time, letting it settle instead of like, like I just started seeing a therapist like two weeks ago and Mm. like, you know, my boyfriend had his brain injury two and a half years ago, whatever it was, mum, you know, like, because I, I would have worded my way around it. I would have intellectualized it. I would have found my way into how to bury it in a more open-minded manner. And instead I just had to sit with it and I took time. I didn't take time. I was given time. And there was something about just letting it settle before I started digging around in it. And I really just think that the most important part is just the sense of like, there's a real freedom to recognizing that life is fucked and not in, not in a depressing way, just in a, of course it's fucked. It's fucked when it's good. It's confusing when it's bad. It's, you know, like if I can't make my own babies at some point, maybe I meet someone who's already got babies, maybe we end up adopt. I've got no way of knowing, but if I sit in being miserable about it, 
the only thing I guarantee is my misery. Period. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And I often have these talks with myself if I am feeling a bit, yeah, like down the dumps or angry, upset about anything. It's like, well, okay, yeah, I guess I I could continue feeling like this because I'm in charge of my own life and no one else really cares. I mean, of course, the people close to me care, but not not in the same way as having that experience yourself. Or you can really consciously try to move on from that. And then your experience of your life will be different because all we have is our perspective on it, right? Totally. I think give yourself the freedom to sit in it and then give yourself the freedom to get the fuck out of it. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful, Zoe, that you are now in the position to be able to put all this trauma and love and vulnerability and learning into art. God, I hope so. Wouldn't that be great? On behalf of the world, thank you, because those, <laughs> you know, those are the stories that we need to see and experience. And when they're coming from such a raw, truthful, brave place, which sounds like is exactly the type of story you want to tell, that's the one mm. that will have the most impact. So I Well, and how amazing is an action movie with all of that shit in it? Oh my gosh, it's going to be an action movie with that? There's going to be action movies with that. I mean, that's a new genre, right? Action movies with heart, damn it. Just casually. Yep, you'll casually start an action movie revolution, which we are just casually. so ready for. Aren't we, though? With a yeah. whole bunch of bitches in there, too. Just a whole bunch of bitches in there. Put all of the bitches in there. <laughs> <laughs> all of the bitches in the action movie with heart. <laughs> um, Zoe, I could talk to you all day, but you have another extremely important meeting. I know. The irony. said action movie with heart. So I will let you go, but I do want to ask you these three questions that I ask all my guests. So mm. the, the first one is what is the most significant lesson that you've learned? <sighs> Holy crap. Uh, honestly, okay, because I could name like two or three, but the most significant lesson I've learned is when you learn a significant lesson, write that shit down because you will need to learn it again. That is such good advice. <laughs> I, I am going to do that and, and not take it away from this kind of like ephemeral abstract thing. Write it down. Mm. Write it down. That's a really good one. Okay, (laughs) and so what is the lesson that you are still learning? Right now, currently, I am in the midst of still learning that other people's discomfort is actually not my responsibility. That's huge. It's a very hard one. It's like learning to breathe differently. Like I did it in an acting lesson one time. We were learning how to breathe so we could, you know, project and blah, blah. Breathing into our stomach, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I feel that, and that's easy. It's something I'm fully capable of doing." But the minute I was distracted, I go straight back to breathing the way I have since I was born. And my knee-jerk reactions to life is recognizing when I'm going back to my old way of breathing. Just recognizing it, mm-hmm. constantly learning that one. Constantly. <laughs> and so, just a, a little question to finish off, Zoe Bell: <laughs> How do we make the most of our lives? oh shit uh I think honestly and I will take try my hardest the rest of my life to take my own advice but is to look at the things that make you feel most honest and true with yourself be transparent with others and just keep practicing that and goals are great dreams are amazing but I just think we all need to be in the habit of consciously updating checking in with ourselves and updating because I've just seen so many people die in the desire to become this thing that they thought they wanted to be when they were a kid. Just update. Maybe you want to be a plumber. I love the idea of being a plumber. Yes, it does sound quite good, doesn't it? 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Zoe, for sharing your heart so openly with me and everyone who's listening. I know that people will get so much out of that. And good luck with everything. I absolutely cannot wait to see what the next step is for you. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. I wish I could give you a big cuddle. And we should yeah. do this again one day with some wine. Some wine. Yes, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. And there we go. That is the remarkable, courageous, fiercely talented warrior woman that is Zoe Bell. I am just so happy to have her as part of this conversation about how we make the most of our lives because she is someone who is absolutely doing that and I just cannot wait to see what project she does next. But thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next week for another episode. And if you liked this conversation, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as it helps other people hear about us. And I would also like to thank my wonderful producers, The Raw Collective, for making this whole process so easy and seamless and fun. See you next time. Thank you.